Hey guys, and welcome to the Movement Docs Podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Mike. And we're just two guys who want to help students and clinicians grow in the field of rehab. Welcome to the show. Thank you and welcome to podcast number five of the Movement Docs titled Let's Get Down to Business with the Movement Doctor, Dr. C.J. De Palma. Dr. C.J. De Palma is a licensed physical therapist, strength coach, and CrossFit athlete in Pensacola, Florida. After working in a more traditional orthopedic PT setting, C.J. started his own practice to treat patients in a more efficacious and evidence-based manner. Thanks for being on the show today, C.J. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. No, it's awesome. It's awesome to have you, man. We're glad we get to mm-hmm. sit down and nerd out for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it should be good. Yeah. So what are we talking about today, Jake? Um, I think kind of the Mulan-themed title here says a lot. So in our last podcast, we were talking with Jason LePage about kind of building a brand. And we thought that it would be um, kind of a good idea to talk to the movement doctor about like starting your own private practice, um, a little bit of cash-based PT, maybe some, some talk about insurance and kind of how he – basically pick his brain about how he created his own, um, his own company because he's a recent grad. I believe you graduated in on what fall of 2016 CJ. Yep. Yeah. I graduated August last year. So, uh, he's made, uh, quite a big, uh, name for himself in that, in that year that he's been practicing and is obviously like produced a lot of good content on Instagram and, um, various social media things and with his website and, uh, practicing out of his, out of what Mako CrossFit down in Pensacola, Florida. Yep. So uh, I think just talking small business and how you do that, why he left the orthopedic, the more traditional orthopedic world, and uh, what he what kind of cool stuff he's doing nowadays um, would be would be the stuff. So I know that was kind of rambling and whatever, <laughs> but that's just what popped out of my brain. So it's good, good. <laughs> so CJ, if you could. Uh, Maybe tell us a little bit about your story and how you ended up where you are right now. Sure. Um, so again, I own a, a small uh, private cash pay practice located in a side of a CrossFit gym. And I graduated last year, uh, August, and the owners of the gym are good friends of mine. And we were out drinking well, one day for his bachelor party in August right after I graduated. And him and the other owners were like, what's it going to take to get you up to Pensacola to open your own box? And I was in Orlando, or own clinic and I was in Orlando at the time and I was like, well, a car and that's about all I need. So, uh, I mean, that was, that was pretty much it. And we were in Orlando. I, I passed boards. I was working as a temp at a, um, a Cora and, and I hated every second of it and I got licensed and I started working more and my schedule filled up and I hated it even more. And I was like, man, I can't do this. So, it was one day in November, it was a, it was a Monday, that uh, me and my wife just decided to leave and make it happen. We just left Orlando. Um, so we just came to Pensacola, and I was like, well, I want to open doors January 1st. And I was like, we just got to figure it out. So I got a mentor. Uh, shout out to Greg Todd, Smart Success PT, has been my rock through all of the initial parts and continued parts of my practice. Uh, if you guys, whoever's listening, if you don't know who he is, make sure you look him up. He's a firecracker. He's very motivating and he's very intelligent and he breeds entrepreneurship, uh, left and right. So great guy. He helped me out a lot and, and yeah, so he gave me the confidence to open it up and, and make it happen. So we took about a month and then we opened doors January 1st and, I mean, I can keep going, but it will kind of just it'll continue to <laughs> rambling. But, uh, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the basics of it, you know, is like how we started. And then from where we started to where we are now has been one hell of a roller coaster. That's for sure. So kind of going back to where you were uh, before you started the Movement Doctor, just because I know on my clinical rotations, I've had some of those experiences where you feel like you're almost in like a kind of like a puppy mill where you're just like grinding through patients you know, 15, 20 minutes, maybe you're booked every 30 minutes, but it just feels like you don't have time to do notes. You don't have time to really give them quality care. And sometimes it feels like you're kind of forced into either doing either manual or only doing exercises with them, depending on how the clinic is run. 
Right. Was that the type of stuff that you were seeing in that environment? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I always felt like I was, I could handle the, the patient load. Um, but I just felt like it for, for the kind of care that I really wanted to provide. I mean, this was before I was like in pain science or even, you know, again, we know so little, uh, and as new grad, I, I know very little, but this was before I even had the mindset of, of education first, more of just like structural based, uh, reasoning. Um, and even then, I just felt like I couldn't provide the care that I really wanted to. So I knew uh, that I, the movement doctor was going to be a thing probably sometime in my third year. Late in my third year, I was down in Miami in school. Mm-hmm. I was a very uh, good CrossFit gym, and I was treating their athletes. Uh, it's kind of like bartering and just doing some manual, but I was like, oh, man, this is what I want to do. I want to work with CrossFit athletes. I love the sport. I fell in love with it. You know, I do it as uh, the potential to be or the goal is to be competitive. I'm not very good, but you know, I try to be, and I, uh, I was like, this is what I want to do. So I was like, well, how, how can I do this? And, you know, I was in Orlando and, you know, finished my rotations. And then I, I got in this Cora and I was like, man, this is terrible. Like, I don't ever want to do this again. And I didn't have quite have the opportunity to open the movement doctor there. These guys contacted me or we, you know, like I said, we were out and it just kind of, it just kind of flowed into it. It just kind of all fell you know, it was like all this, all the planets aligned. It was like this crazy happenstance of events that were just like, all right, you're just going to go and leave everything and you're just going to start this thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just didn't, I, I was never, never comfortable with the traditional outpatient setting, even in my rotations uh, or at the job, you know, the, the one actual job that I had that wasn't owning. <laughs> So to all the students that are out there listening, is there any advice that you would give them if they find themselves in a rotation that's like that? Like, what did, what did you do when you were a student and you were going through that? Did you just kind of grit it out? Um, yeah, sure. Which I'm really terrible at. Um, you just, you just got to suck it up. Uh, you know, you try and so, you know, and like in hindsight, this is what I would do now. Um, you try and, do what you can, put in practice what you know, and learn as much as you can while you're there, right? You're never going to learn bad things. You might learn something that's like not current in evidence, you know, but no one is truly malicious in their sense of how they treat people, maybe how they run the business or something like that. But overall, the goal, you know, everyone's all, you know, you hope at least that everyone's goal is to benefit the patient, right? And, and that's not always the case, but we have to think that it is, especially as a student, because if we go in, if we go in that mindset, um, as a student, we're not going to learn anything. And I struggled with that a ton. So I try not to advise anyone to kind of think how I did and this like pessimistic or like sadistic mindset of like, you know, no, these people are idiots. And, and I wish I could go back and maybe have learned a little more from the CIs that I had, Mm -hmm. uh, but learn as much as you can try and make the best of your situation and, you know, and then just move on, right? You have to be in the trenches and you have to do what you have to do. Um, you know, but it's just part of the process. And if you make the most of it then it wasn't wasted. No, I think that's, I think that's great advice. I mean, I, I know I've kind of been in some experiences like that and Mike, you're about to go out on your clinical experiences. Your at least your long-term ones. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. and I think, I mean, I think for you, if, if you experience that, like I would definitely heed that advice and just kind of stay positive. Right. Cause there's always yeah. going to be some sort of lesson you can learn, whether it's from your CIs or, you know, the techs that are working there, um, you know, PTAs, ATCs, whoever it is, if you can find some downtime, there's always some knowledge bombs that people can drop, but, um, oh, yeah. don't just yeah, realize it's... that if you're stuck in a bad rotation, it's only temporary and that you'll, you'll get out of it. And there's, that's not the end all be all of your career. You can always find a place where, um, where you can practice the way that you want to. And I think that CJ is yeah, a good example of that because he, he went in, realized that this is not for me. I need to do my own thing in order to be, you know, practice the way that I believe. I believe, you know, my my values as a clinician, my values um, as like a continuing learner in the field, um, just not compromising any of that. So I think, I think that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's, it's clutch. And you guys said a couple of great things right there, too. They're pretty profound, too. Like, no experience is bad experience. There's always something that you can learn uh, and ways that you can grow and get better. So you find that silver lining and find ways that you can improve. So that's awesome. Uh, I do have a question, too. You know, uh, CJ, you know, in your story, when you were talking about your uh, your origins, it's almost like a superhero thing, your origin story. Um, you found a mentor pretty quickly. 
uh, for building your brand. So, so what value do you place on your mentorship and, and how do you go about finding a mentor? Um, yeah, you know, I was, man. So if, if, if you guys don't know Greg Todd, then you're not in like the doctor of physical therapy students page. Cause he posts in there every morning. Um, so I actually, and, I actually listened to one of the duck legs podcasts recently yeah. and so he's, he's on, on there. They're all, they're all close with me, Jared, um, Jared and, uh, God, I can't even think of the other Is two. Tyler? Dimir and uh, someone else. I can't think of their name. Anyways, they were all in the course with me. Uh, I think they were one, like one, one section behind me or in the same section. I can't remember. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, he's, uh, you know, and it's like, he, you know, advises people to do, you know, it's everything, man. And it's, it's, it's really good. So I have two mentors. Um, I would say I have a lot of mentors. Uh, I have like business mentors and like personal and social and things like that. But I, I look at everyone cause I always look for advice to try and build who I am. Uh, cause like I said, I, I don't really think I'm a very intelligent person overall, but I surround myself with people that are, um, and, and I always make sure I'm never the smartest person in a room, which isn't that hard, but I try to always learn from everyone around me, uh, especially you guys. Um, I wish I was doing something like this when I was in school. Oh, I'd want to cut back real quick on like the experience in the setting. When you have knowledge, you should share it. That means you guys too, as a student, share your knowledge, what you know, put papers in front of therapists, even if they, you know, are biased in their ways, you know, like, Hey, this is what I read. What do you think about it? Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's really important. That's a good way to open dialogue and maybe even, you know, not try and change someone that's been doing it for a long time. Right. It's kind of not always your place as a student, but, but it really is your place, right? We always want to be practicing best evidence, but that was just, you know, never, you know, uh, give up that chance to educate someone as well as receive education. Uh, so going back to this, you know, finding a mentor is, I think it's really tough. It's just someone that you have to trust, um, you know, and someone that you just look up to, uh, I was very fortunate to find someone that knew and, and had a good idea of what I wanted to do. Uh, and then my other mentor, uh, he owns a clinic in uh, South Florida called People First PT, and he was one of my CIs. Uh, and he, me and him are, you know, one, he's one of my best friends now. And I look to him for any type of treatment or like uh, think tank stuff that we have to uh, go through. And, and, you know, we just, we just talk it out all the time. And he's, again, much smarter than I am. Uh, I think that's a good quality to find in your mentor is someone that will bring you up with them, right? As they benefit and they progress, you will too, right? Mm-hmm. So as far as the, the structure of your mentorship, are you like within driving distance when you, when you meet with, with these guys, do you meet face to face or is it mostly like, you know, text messages, phone calls, emails, stuff like that? Yeah, it's just, it's just phone call, email, um, you know, with, uh, with Greg and Greg and smart success, uh, the way it was like, as an eight week program and we ran through uh, these modules that he has based out and it's for like the new grad getting their first job, creating social media marketing, um, understanding the profession from a owner's perspective and a businessman's perspective, um, and, and all of those things. And it kind of played a role into what I was doing and I wasn't super involved in the course itself. Um, cause I was like right in the middle of this, like first three months of my business, mm-hmm. Uh, so I was really focused on obviously like opening it, but he was there. Like when I had questions, like, Hey, what do I do now? Hey, what do I do here? He like, he would just take 15 minutes of his day and just like make a phone call. I and mean, he's got like 300 students and he does that for everyone. The guy's just like a machine. And, yeah. uh, and then, uh, friend Ben, you know, we, we have constant text chat, uh, about patients and like, Hey, what would you do with this? And, and we talk a lot of CrossFit, honestly, he CrossFits now and I got him into CrossFit and like. <laughs> You know, so he's like, Hey, what does this look like? And you know, like analyze a snatch or something like that, you know, clean or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's nice. That's awesome. What, what you said about mentorship, uh, really strikes a chord and you reminded me of a quote. I feel like I always come up with the, like you, you guys remind me of these quotes, but it's like, uh, you know, uh, when you said you surround yourself with intelligent people, uh, you, you, you are the summation of the five people you, that you spend the most time with. So choose wisely. Right. <laughs> um, but that, that really exactly. speaks a lot to, yeah, to what you've been saying. You know, uh, you need to surround yourself. That'll help bring you up. And if you're the smartest person in the room, that's a problem. So that's that's pretty profound what you just said. I think that also kind of echoes. We had a little bit of this discussion with Jason last week about, like, those people that you are surrounding yourselves with, making sure that you take advantage of, like, the skill sets and resources that they have. And not not take advantage in a bad way, but 
Like, I mean, I know for us, like you're better at some stuff than I am, Mike. And so with certain things, like I would definitely defer to you because I just, I'm not, I'm not as well developed with those, like that specific skill set. And so I'm sure even within your group of, of like mentors and colleagues, CJ, that you probably have people that you go to for like, all right, if it's tendinopathies, I'm going to talk to this guy. Or if it's like a rotator cuff injury, you know, this is my, someone who is more well-versed in like the shoulder. And so I think when you, when you are trying to do that and surround yourself with like a group of like, whether it's mentors or colleagues in the rehab world to make sure that you take advantage and get like second opinions from people that are like, you know, the dude when it comes to specific thing. (laughs) The dude abides. (laughs) Also, I need to read way more books because I don't know where you get all these quotes from. I feel like I just need to go go on like uh, Pinterest and start reading more motivational posters. Oh, <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but the dude also does abide. So yes, I should probably go make myself a white Russian. It is white Russian Wednesday. Oh, sounds good. There, there's our uh, pop culture reference. <laughs> so I have good. at least like at least one, at least one of them. Yes. <laughs> so, so CJ, did you did you know that you always wanted to run your own business, like when you were in PT school? I know you said that uh, the movement doctor was something that you've been mulling over in school, but did you have like plans for your future that you were going to own your business when you graduated, or, or how did that come about? Um, I think so. I mean, I'm not going to lie. My like my like looking back to school, it feels like I was in PT school for like a minute. Like, I don't remember grad school. I don't remember undergrad. Very like I just like. I don't know. It just kind of like leaves the memory. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but I just like, I struggle with like, what am I, what am I thinking? Like, I don't know. Just trying to pass the next <laughs> test. Uh, but for the, for the most part, I, I've never been really good with I'm doing people, doing things other people's way. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I mean, that's, it's a fault in mine. It really is. I struggle with um, like just taking things for face value. I struggle with it in school. Um, you know, especially in ortho, ugh, it's like, Oh, this is this. And I'm like, I don't think that's this. I'm like, I've never seen this before. And I've exercised for like every day the last 10 years. So I don't, I feel like this isn't real, but anyways, uh, so I've, I really struggled with that. So I knew it was always there. Um, and the thought was there, you know, I was like in school when I started CrossFit, I was like, Oh, I want to own CrossFit PT thing. That was like what I wanted to do. And, uh, so that was, that was kind of like the vision. And, and it still might be the vision kind of just depends on like, you know, with the gym I'm at now, if we stay in this city and mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, but, but yeah, I think I did always know I wanted to be my own boss, uh, based on mainly the fact that I was really poor at just doing what other people like required of me as and like an employee. Mm-hmm. Um, I always felt like my way was better. And then again, it's like something that I've struggled with as, uh, basically as like an entrepreneur and especially as a student, it was a definitely a struggle. Like I said, you know, when you're in, you're in school, you kind of have to like kind of have to do things a certain way at some point. And I, I really struggled with those things uh, and ended up doing okay, but I never suggest it to anyone just to kind of go hundred percent on your own, you know, and like, uh, I guess like put everything you're learning by the wayside. But, uh, but yeah, I guess the answer is, you know, short answer. I, I yes. think that even though you kind of list that as a fault, there's definitely some, some like um, beneficial stuff inside that. And just like always wanting to question the status quo and not, not taking things at face value is oftentimes, a, I would say, a good thing, especially in this world where a lot of times you find that the stuff that you're being taught in school is a little bit behind the like best practice or best, best available evidence level or I, I don't can't even words today, the best available evidence that <laughs> what, what we're being taught is a little bit behind um, what we actually know in the current knowledge base. And so I think that, and then also understanding too, that like, you know, your professors are going to have their own biases. And so if you're in an ortho class, they're probably going to show you research articles that support their viewpoint that manual therapy is, you know, the end all be all. If you're in, you know, modalities class, if you have a professor that's like, you know, really into like e-stem or something like that, they're definitely going to show you, you know, the two articles that say, hey, this does something versus like, you know, a bunch <laughs> of systematic reviews that say maybe this isn't really good for anything. So having that mentality of like, you know, not always accepting things at face value 
even though, like, like you said, you, you think it, it's kind of a fault for you, I think that there is something that can be learned and something that can be utilized from that. Um, so, you know, positive spin. It's not all bad. Right, it's not all bad. <laughs> um, let's see here. Yeah, that's so, the truth. <laughs> so um, now that you're all set up, you're operating in a CrossFit gym and doing your own thing, how how is that how is that working? Do you have like a, a room in the back, or do you just utilize the gym like you know you have people get on like uh, benches and stuff like that, or like what, what's your what's your setup like? Yeah, yeah. So I have a it's it's a pretty large gym. So they have like a, a few entrances, and one of the entrances has like an unused like lobby space, and they just I use that. I put up a door and a wall. Recently, I'm really proud of my <laughs> door. It's like just like this wall. It's like this wall like in the middle of a hallway, and I just. We just put up a wall and a door there. I'm very, very proud of it. Nice. Um, I didn't do it. A lot of other people. I have very, very little handy bones in my body. But, um, you know, and, and this, I mean, I really don't use, I, I really just use this room to talk because it's kind of quiet. I mean, it's really not that quiet. The only reason you can't hear the radio is because the 7 o'clock class doesn't, doesn't really, you know, there's like three people, so they don't turn the radio up. But at 4 and 5 o'clock, it's like, the speakers in my like in my office, like in my face. I can't hear anything in here. So, <laughs> um, like a separate office, uh, and I mean, I pretty much use the gym for everything. Uh, you hinted at it. I don't do a lot of manual therapy or any. Uh, so, I use the gym for pretty much pretty much everything. I'll do some assessments in here. I have a like a pop up massage table, uh, and I have a top to an actual treatment table that was randomly given to me that I just need to build a base for, um, and I'll actually build that one. I'm going to make the attempt to actually build the base for that <laughs> one. So that'll be up so that'll be like an actual, an actual table. I won't use my pop-up anymore, but yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. It's maybe 200 square feet, not even 200 square feet. So pretty, pretty bare bones, yeah, just like, you know, what you need to do yeah. to get the job done. So I'm, oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm a, I'm, I'm a minimalist in treatment yeah. and in life. So, <laughs> so I'm but, guessing lots of like patient education, <laughs> Um, I think we have success. Post post losing, right? <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, a lot of patient education. Oh, Sorry, I mean to cut you off. <laughs> patient education uh, and exercise. Um, so yeah, it's the I guess the initial basis of it was that like a treatment yeah, I was style. Gonna, I was going to ask about like treatment treatment style. Um, yeah. So so yeah. So I mean, I, I'm I'm very big on not overutilizing my services. Uh, so I don't see people very many times. Um, I think my average patient uh, stint or plan of care is what under two sessions. And just because I see people, I see a couple people more than once. So it's like in between one and two, maybe one point four or something like that. That's all my patients since I've started. Uh, the majority of people I see once, and it's more of consulting. Uh, you know, because especially in my setting, most people just think they're hurt. Right, and we we catastrophize and we fearmonger and we've been told all these things. My hips are rotated. I have a thoracic ring. I'm like, well, I got a ring on my finger, so I don't. <laughs> right, I don't know. So uh, I try and educate a ton, and we'll go over some biomechanics. Uh, and I, I really use like the biomechanics, basically like teaching the squat or deadlift or press or snatch or clean. I really use that more of a mindset tool. Not so much because I don't think biomechanics are, cause pain. Uh, I really, I really don't. I think they can, um, but for the most part, people aren't. It's not they're, like they're not in pain because their biomechanics are terrible. Because there's plenty of people in the gym that move, you know, by by the subjective definition of what all of these exercises should look like. They move way worse, but they don't have any pain. So then, how can we then derive that your pain is caused by your shitty movement when? Sally next to you moves way worse and Rob can't put his arms over his head, but he doesn't have any pain. He just can't do it. So, um, so I try not to, uh, like demonize any type of movement, but we will go out, you know, if someone squats, I'm like, ah, you know, like I, I, and this is basically what I say to everyone. Like, you know, I really say there's no right or wrong way to squat, but the way you're squatting is giving you a little bit of pain every time you do it. So let's just try and fix it a little bit. Or if it doesn't, I don't address it all. I'm like, Let's just try it this way. This is how I teach it. 
So let's just start to implement this. And we really just focus more so if it's low back, squatting, deadlifting. I really just like get their mindset based on, you know, to focus on their stomach, right? And bracing and hip hinging. And because now our awareness has now changed and our focus has changed, their back pain has now decreased immensely, you know, very quickly. Not because anything changed, but because they didn't grab the bar and they're like, shit, my back's going to hurt. I was just like, let's think about your belly or let's think about your legs or your feet or something to that effect. And from there, you know, we just progress. Uh, I give them basically their protocol, you know, X, do X, Y, and Z or don't do X, Y, and Z for X amount of time. And then I'll see you one to two weeks and more times than I would like, they don't come back because they feel better. I'm very happy they feel better. It's not a very good business model overall because I don't see people very many times. I need a lot of people to come in, but um, educate, you know, and which is good. And I, I feel like it's the morally sound and appropriate thing to do. Um, and, yeah. and again, my, my population yeah. has a big reason. Uh, sorry, I'll just go in a second. My population has a big reason for that because, I, again, I don't think most people are really injured. They're just like confused or they've been told that they've got a rotation or something to that effect and they've been fear-mongered and now they have this like fear avoidance right and if we educate them a little bit it really puts them on the right track and then then the patient can really handle it themselves like well more than not so what you were saying about your your business model it it reminds me of something that greg todd said in the duck legs podcast i was listening to about how if you think about our our business like our profession as a whole we're basically uh, profiting on the demise of other people. I mean, even though like, as far as like monetarily, it, it may not be the best business model, but you're doing the, basically the right thing. So, you know, you can't fault. Why would you fault yourself for that? You're doing awesome. <laughs> if you can get the job yeah, done in one, 1.4 visits, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and again, I don't, you know, could I keep people in here longer? Yeah. Should I keep some in here longer? Probably a couple, but for, again, for the most part, and again, this is very population specific, right? Um, I just don't think, I think we overutilize our services a lot of the time, like a, you know, a, a low grade case of elbow tendinopathy doesn't need two times six, right? They don't need 12 visits. Need some education. Need a visit. Don't do dumb shit. Come back and see me. Do good <laughs> shit. Calm it down, and then start to strengthen it, and you'll be better. You know, that's just it. It's basic. It really is. It's that simple. A lot of the time, hmm. you know, tendinopathy might not be the great example, right? Because you know, tendinopathy is really complex, and I don't want to like, uh, you know, like bring down the complexity of like our profession, but it's a lot simpler than we try and make it. You know, and um, and I really I'm a real big advocate of that, that it doesn't have to be that hard. Right. The body is going to heal itself nine times out of ten and 80 percent of the time. And I guess to be eight times out of ten. It's good math. That's why I'm in physical therapy. Um, like, you know, 80 percent of the time pain just resolves itself like over three months, like any pain, unless it's like, you know, uh, like a severe traumatic issue. I mean, like, and that's like all pain. That's like across all back pain, elbow pain, shoulder pain. Like it's everything just resolves, you know, normally because people modified their activity, they gave their body time, the pain that doesn't resolve are the people that push through it. Right. And they don't give their body time to relax. Now we're not saying rest. Rest is the worst thing you can do. Just don't do the things that are like causing you severe pain. Right. <laughs> just like back it down a little bit. If squatting hurts, just deadlift more. Right. Or, or front squat or just boost the depth, you know, like you don't like, it's that simple and it really, really is. And people don't realize that, you know, they want these, like these like real objectified answers and this big long sheet. Oh, your spine is like, you know, 36 millimeters to the right. And it's like, what What are you saying? You know, it's rotating. All the vertebrae are out of place. C4 is where L7 is, and it's just like, what are you saying? Uh, <laughs> it's like, who cares? It's ridiculous. It really is, but it's like the more, I guess, educated you sound, people just like get this buy-in, or you just scare the shit out of your patient, and 
Now they're like, oh, I need you for 11,000 visits. And I'm like, damn, you made so much money off this person this year. I'm so jealous. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's not no, the right I, I feel thing. you. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you're – I think – I know I've seen Michael Ray post like a whole bunch of stuff recently on like uh, – what was it? Like the iatrogenetic effects of like physicians' words with patients and how like we basically – by saying things that create like false narratives and – whatnot we can we just make things mm-hmm. way worse for people and i remember um this is probably a couple months ago i was i was hanging out at one of my buddy's gyms and uh there was a, a girl there who um had shoulder issues and he's like hey man can you like talk to her kind of like get an idea of what's going on and maybe like give her an idea of what you know how to progress like if she should go see somebody or what she can do to fix it and um she had all this pain with overhead pressing and after talking to her for like 20 minutes, it basically boiled down to the fact that when she was a high school uh, volleyball player, her athletic trainer told her that she could never do any like overhead motions ever again because she had really messed up her labrum and her shoulder. And it would be like that for the rest of her life. And I was sitting there and I was like, oh, Bam. my God. Like, oh. first of all, <laughs> did you ever get imaging? Like, did you see anybody? Like, was there actually some sort of confirmed like labral issue? And she's like, no, it's just what my like my AT told me. And I was like, all right, well, if that was like 10 years ago and you're like our normal healing time frame is like six to eight weeks, do you think that you still have some sort of like structural issue if there even was one? And she was like, no. I was like, yeah. Yeah. So do you, I mean, do you think that there's anything wrong with you? And she's like, no, I, I guess there's really nothing wrong with me. And I was like, Bingo. And so then we went and looked at her overhead press and I was just like, you know, maybe change your grip or try doing this. And she was like, yeah, I don't have pain anymore. And it's just crazy. <laughs> like it literally is. It's just, just like you said, like sometimes it's just so simple. It's literally just changing some, someone's like mm-hmm. expectations or maybe talking to them a little bit of, and finding out what mm-hmm. that, that driving factor, like why they're afraid, you know, and letting them kind of open up yep. to you and not, you know, don't go down the, psychiatrist route or don't get yourself into something that you're not ready. You're not adequately prepared to deal with. But you know, sometimes if you like let those patients open up and you find out that there's like this, this fear behind that, that if you can offer them some sort of counsel or maybe change their you know belief system just slightly enough that like that kind of clears a lot of stuff up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're on it, man. That's yeah. I think that's it. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think oftentimes if you, if you label, a patient or you give a patient a label like, Oh, you have a slip disc or you have this or that. Uh, they start to really focus on, on that. Um, and that becomes uh, deleterious to their health. You know, they, it, it's all part of it. And so, you know, using words like you described, you know, just being like, or helping them come to their own conclusions is really important. Uh, you know, rather than having that label saying, Oh, this is so bad. Um, I think there was like one article we had talked about once, I can't remember the name of it, but uh, it was talking about MRI imaging of the low back and how a lot of people that are asymptomatic still have like degenerative changes in the low back um, that that could be considered, you know, like a quote unquote slip disc or something like that, um, which we know that discs can't slip anyways. Uh, But the minute that they were told that they had that, they started having symptoms. And so, you know, it's just like, you know, one of those things. So my question, based off that discussion right there, is like, when and where should we like even give people diagnoses? Like, if by just act of giving them some sort of a label that they can cling on to and go, "Oh my God, this is the pain that I'm experiencing because now I know I have this." Is it even worth telling people that you know they have tendonitis or they have this or they have that, or like how? Well, I guess what what are your thoughts like? If it's like something small and acute, do, is it even worth giving giving it a name? Yeah, I mean, so that's a, you know, that's that's like kind of what I was just like about to go into is, is I, I don't objectively diagnose. I don't think we, I don't think we're smart enough to. I just like because we know pain is this experience, right? It's not, it's not a, an objective thing. There's so many things that it's multifactorial, right? It comes into all these things. It's like. So what I, this is this, I, I label, I'm like, you know, all right, shoulder pain. Sure. What does it hurt? Snatching. Okay. 
you have shoulder pain when snatching. That's what I say. I'm like, they're like, really? I'm like, that's it. That's it. I don't, I don't care what's going on. Right. You can still snatch. Right. And a lot, again, my patient population is very uh, niched in and I see a certain person. Um, but for the most part, if you're still able to do things and they're just like somewhat uncomfortable or even like moderately uncomfortable uh, or painful, but you know, it's only like when you are really, you know, like full sprinting or, you know, very heavy overhead and that's your limitation, then there's no need to like die. I think there's no need to objectify. It's like, okay, well, you're just, it's a very specific reason or very specific activity that's causing you pain. So that's our diagnosis. And I learned that from Michael Ray is basically use the limitation as the diagnosis. Right. And I mean, like, that's it. You know, it's like, and overhead. Well, that's their, that's my diagnosis. Like we can say impingement, you know, and, and are you wrong? We don't know. What are we going to do? All our sweet special tests that we learned in school that have <laughs> terrible reliability and validity. Oh man. Um, you know, if someone's symptomatic, they're going to be positive for everything. You got a labral tear. You got a rotator cuff tear, rotator cuff tear for you, labral tear for you, impingement for you. Like everyone's going to be positive for everything. So there's no reason to try and label it. Just say, you have a specific pain doing this motion. Let's find a way to break down the motion into this granular, granular concept, and then we rebuild it, and that's it. I mean, that's what I do with all my patients. I was mm-hmm. telling you guys that earlier about this tendinopathic patient that came in, and I had labeled her because she's she came in with a label, right? She's 18 months, you know, Achilles tendonitis and her tendinopathy, and she about to walk under the knife yesterday morning, and she called me Monday. I was like, I don't want to do it. And I was like, well, come see me. Let's figure this shit out. And and she came in and like we said, it was like the mindset, man. She had just been fed all of these, all these things. And the surgeon even like tried to go conservative uh, and didn't didn't offer surgery right away and just had no change, but she wasn't doing anything. She was booted and she did a little bit of rehab and it helped a little bit, but rehab was so early on in the uh in the tendon the tendinopathy stint of 18 months was like the first three months she was in rehab and then hasn't had any rehab since or any, anything since besides seeing a surgeon once or twice now. Um, and we came in and we just educated, we talked, you said, we just, I let her, I just kind of let her spill her story and she walked in and I could just feel this like gloom and doom coming in the door and she left and she was in good spirits. We had a really good plan created. She was able to do so much. I was like, expecting this girl to be like limping up the stairs, nothing. She was walking fine. She's like, yeah, it's just like a one. And I'm like, it's a one. You're going to get surgery for a one. <laughs> Holy shit. It was, hey, your light would have been cut off. But I was just like, whoa, like he's, you know, and it's just the mindset over everything, right? She'd been labeled so many times, so many different people. And it just created this massive fear avoidance and uh, catastrophized, you know, uh, injury that wasn't that bad. And so we're like trying to break all break down all the walls. Um, so I, I try not to label anyone. I really do. Um, but again, I'm very fortunate in my setting. I don't have to deal with insurance. So I'm kind of going off that because you are cash based and you don't really have to worry about those things for, I don't know, the rest of the world that's in like a private practice, like outpatient ortho setting, how would you recommend going about doing that? Do you just put the label in like the computer system for the sake of the EMR, like to get, you know, insurance to pay for the treatments or like, what, what do you do? Yeah. So, I mean, you definitely don't lie, right? Obviously it's, you know, insurance fraud. Uh, so, <laughs> but we want to, you know, we, we tell the patient exactly what we think. We're like, Hey, you know, and if you don't say, I don't know, at least one time in your evaluation with someone you just met and you're trying to gain their trust and you're trying not to sound like a guru, which we do so much in this profession that we shouldn't, then I think, I think it's something is wrong, right? Uh, you know, we don't know what's going on under the skin. The MRI doesn't tell us exactly what's happening. It doesn't like spit out this thing. It's like pain equals, you know, X, Y, and Z. It just says, you know, it just shows a picture and then someone analyzes it and it's like, you know, Structural damage to rotator cuff, you know, two centimeter tear, 180 degrees to the labor, whatever, whatever it says, right? And it's like, but does that mean it's pain? No. So, you know, you, you do what you have to do to make sure that you can see the patient. Uh, but, you know, you, when you talk to them, you're like, this is what I'm putting in there, all right? Um, because this, this is what, like, my tests have revealed. But you educate, you educate them 
wholeheartedly and continuously that the tests are very inspecific and that you know you're in you're just in a lot of pain with these motions. So we're going to try and make sure that our main focus is to shoulder to get your arm back overhead. Okay. And they might have an impingement, right? They might have all the symptoms of impingement. And it might be a real thing. I'm not saying these injuries aren't real, right? We get injured, obviously. But in the sense of, like, don't scare the shit out of your patient and, you know, let them know the label is just the part of the process, you know, and that our main focus is not reducing the impingement, right? If we're talking about shoulder, it's just improving our symptoms to get back overhead by doing things that we know we need to do anyways, which is, like, strengthen the rotator cuff or strengthen the, you know, scapular stabilizers or which a lot of times if you just go ahead and treat the symptoms and address like some of those like faulty mechanics, that's going to clean itself up anyway. So yeah, I think that's, that's great. I mean, I think it's definitely something that we should probably do more of as a profession in the outpatient setting, just because I feel like, you know, Everyone kind of, especially when you're at those like really busy clinics and you've got to juggle a bunch of patients and you get in that mindset of, yep, you just kind of label them by what they, what they present with like rotator cuff, you know, ACL, uh, impingement, um, bursitis, tendinopathy, whatever. And you kind of get those labels and it kind of permeates into your own head. And then I feel like that changes your, your treatment style and your approach and how you, you deal with and educate patients. Because once you get that pathology in your head and you're just going off, you know, what you learned in your Therex or your ortho classes about how to, how to treat this versus like treating the patient that's in front of you, I feel like you can kind of lose it a little bit there. Well, initially before I had this like non-objective like mindset, all of those injuries are treated the same anyways. So I was, I struggled with like, why do we need to know? And this was like, as a student, I was like, what does it matter? You're going to give them, you know, whatever rotator cuff strengthening bands and I don't know, scat pushups and whatever else that we do is like this phase one subacute um, intervention for all of these injuries. It's the same exact thing. So what does it matter? What was the big deal? There's no reason. And I thought that as, as a student, so I struggled big time through like special testing and and uh, evaluative skills uh, through those avenues instead of just like talking with the patient. Um, so boards were struggle hmm. for sure. So yeah. Anyways, now as far as the patients that you're working with, do you? I know you're cash based, but do you do like a super bill or anything that they can then build insurance, or is it just cash? Um. I always offer it. No one, no one wants to, um, you know, so, I mean, that's their, that's their choice. It's the end of the year now. So maybe some people will, uh, you know, and that's like how it works with auto networks. So, um, right. So do you guys understand the super bill and how it works? Kind of. Uh, why don't we go bit. over it for, for those? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the super bill is basically, uh, the ability. So a cash pay, nothing changes on my end. All right. So I still receive cash from the patient. And what happens is, is everyone's considered an out-of-network provider except for Medicare. So if they're Medicare, you can't see them unless you're a Medicare provider. Uh, that's just, you can't opt out. That's just the way it works. All right. Jared Carter has a lot of good stuff on that. If anyone is interested, that's definitely not my area of expertise. Um, I just don't deal with it. So but if someone does have insurance and they're like, hey, I want to use it, I'm like, well, this is how it works. Here's my fee. You're still going to pay me cash, but I'm going to give you a receipt of a super bill Right, it has either if it's evaluation or a treatment as evaluation code, what we did, what diagnosis is, and you submit it to your insurance for reimbursement, and then the patient gets reimbursed by the insurance company. So you're basically okay. doing the same so, documentation that you would do in a traditional clinic, but probably like less detailed, less like you know unnecessary yeah. fluff. It, but still, yeah. a good enough um, quality that insurance would would cover the the treatment. Right. Now, do you do do you use like a like an EMR or anything like WebPT or um, or something like that to to do those in the cases yeah. that you have to do them? I just uh, I mean Google Drive is secure, so uh, and I'm not what's considered a um, um oh man I just went I just went blank uh, uh, I don't even know what I was trying to say scratch that I'll come back to that um, yeah. 
I just I just went blank for but a second. But you you just use Google Drive for like like your EMR. I guess if you're not doing enough of yeah. those, there's really no point in subscribing to like a a, pay, a paid service to have that if you can just do it in, in a system like Google Drive. Yeah. Yeah. So oh here it goes. I was I just went blank. I'm not a HIPAA compliant provider. Uh, since I don't I don't transmit electronic documents to anyone, uh, I'm allowed to just have it on my uh, general computer. Hmm. So uh, that's that's kind of how that HIPAA compliance works. It's not actually a um, patient privacy. Truly, it's the it's the transmission and like the sharing back and forth of patient documents, and that's why it has to be so. Since I don't do that with anyone, I'm only cash pay. All my notes are my private notes, so it's just for oh, me. Okay. Huh. Okay. That's interesting. interesting. In fact. Yeah, we. I feel like. Someone will, definitely someone that listens. I won't. That won't really approve of what I just said. But that's that's the way. I promise that's the way it works. <laughs> I feel like that's. It's yeah. funny because I feel like when we talk about HIPAA in school, it's like this like scary like thing, which it definitely is a scary thing. But they definitely did not tell us that in school. No. Well, I mean, how many cash pay practitioners do you know? Uh, you and. Uh, right. Yep. Aaron LeBauer, Jaron Carter, right? It's like the big ones. I'm not involved. I'm not as big as their names, but you know, it's there's not that many true cash pay uh, practitioners out there. So, you know, I've looked into like web PT and stuff. I just don't. Again, I don't really see. It would kind of help maybe organize my notes a little bit better. But you know, I've just created uh, like a Google Sheet, and then I just copy it and basically just uh, made this you know this refillable. Uh, template that I use and it works. It works fine. Okay. So you no, spent you spent a couple fun. of minutes setting up your template, hmm. and then you can just use that. Right. Go ahead, Jake. I, uh, I, I, oh, I was going to say I know you have couple. kind of a you have your own like niche market where you're seeing like a very specific patient population. Do you do any marketing to like other gyms or to doctors or anything like that in the area to like generate some sort of referral basis for yourself? So, I mean, the, the amount of people I see from my home gym at Mako is very low. I'm here all day. So, for me to be like, when someone comes up to me and, like, give them, like, face palm, like, no, schedule an appointment, is like, obviously, that's not how it works. And with my style of treatment, my education first, I educate. And, you know, normally they just kind of, you know, again, they're not that injured. And that's what I truly think because we have a very young population here a young demographic at uh, this gym but the other gyms I, i'm in every gym in the city within uh, maybe 50 miles of here it's not that many gyms uh so maybe 12 total um so i go and i do like seminars or i'll go set up a table and i'll answer some questions um you know for an afternoon and from then we just hopefully get referrals stand on my card come people come see me or i'll travel out to the gyms and i'll set up we would do like a um, consultations, right? So like short 30 minute, and I wouldn't even call them treatments because they're not, they're just consultations, uh, you know, not traditional, not true physical therapy, um, you know, just basically answering some questions, but will they be like slotted, uh, slotted windows for there? And then we'll just kind of see people that way. And, you know, and it's really just word of mouth. And then hopefully Instagram eventually will start to, pay me money, but I don't think that, I don't think they pay any money. So I'm not really sure. I put so much effort into the everyday video, but you know, it's I mean, if you're, <laughs> if you're like an Instagram model, I feel like definitely pay you. Right. Right. <laughs> well, I wear, sh- my shorts are short on most of them, but uh, for some reason it's like my followers haven't taken off. Quite <laughs> I, yet. I actually recently, I gave uh, <laughs> Sam Spinelli some crap for uh, doing a lot of shirtless videos and he said, yeah. that, <laughs> he said that when he, you know, when he posts the shirtless ones, like he gets way more views than when he doesn't. So, no, you know what makes me get more views? If I'm being honest, the louder and lamer the techno music is, I get more views. Yeah, if it's like if it was just like way out there, you know, it's like I got my picture. I'm like the buff guy with like a shoulder and I'm like doing shoulders and like me and I'm like sped up fast forward and like no one can really see what's going on. It's like really like time speed. I get like three times the amount of views. If I'm like talking, educating, I get like 11 views. Pretty sure people are like <laughs> negative. <laughs> this is bullshit. 
So, oh my gosh. That's how it works. What, what people are out there that yeah, are just like, that, well, I don't know. Where's where's marijuana legal again? It's not legal in Florida yet. So, medical. Oh. not medical here. Maybe it's, maybe it's those guys. Maybe they just really liked techno music and like the fast yeah. blurry motions and. So maybe, maybe you're indirectly glaucoma. Huh. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Instagram secret. Techno music oh, and gosh. taking your shirt off. Yeah, huh. that's right. Or maybe just in general. <laughs> just success for life. Anyways, all right. <laughs> Next up. In fact, oh, I think man. I'll probably do that at my next job interview. No, just kidding. Uh, all right. But yeah, so so, so uh, kind of going along. Oh, go ahead, Jake. Were we gonna no, say? no, you got it. You got it. You got it. I think we're on the same wavelength. Go ahead. I was just going to say, okay, cool. I was just going to say, like, what advice would you give someone uh, who's looking to start their own business? Uh, you know, we know that you had a little bit of mentorship and all that, but uh, if you could give us a little bit of advice for, for anybody out there listening that's looking to start their own business, kind of build their own brand, what would you do? Um. I- I think the biggest piece of advice that I could give, I guess number one is like, you know, the grind is going to continue. You're, you're, I, I'm still living like I'm in college. Maybe not quite as bad you know, because I have I have an income. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not the income of a PT. Not yet. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Leave them. Yeah. Uh, one second, guys. I apologize. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting them. Sorry about that. Uh, the gym is closing up. Um, and uh, so... So that's the biggest, the biggest thing, right? You know, I have a great time. I sit in the gym all day, but you know, my income is, is minimal. So you have to live like that. You have to live to support the business and less is more in the sense of what you need. You don't need that much, you know, but again, I'm in a very specific niche. Mm -hmm. If you want to come in and you want to provide all these cool modalities and stuff, you know, I mean, that's, that's one way to do it, you know, but your overhead is going to be a ton. You know, my uh, Danny Mata talks on, or Danny Matei talks on uh, like margins and the importance of it with your overhead and starting a cash pay practice. And I mean, mine's in like the mid 90% is like what I take out, like what I take. So, okay. Um, that's really, really important because I don't make, I don't make a lot, right? I'm very, my volume's very low. Um, mm-hmm. And as for like continuing advice is basically don't be scared to fail. You know, you're going to have ups and downs. Uh, you're going to have days where you have nothing to do uh, in the sense of treating people. But, um, you know, also don't, don't be scared. It's, it's, uh, you know, starting, it's like starting any business. There's really no difference. And it's just, you have to have confidence and belief in what you're doing and that, it's all going to pay off as long as you're doing it. You know, you have the moral, your moral compass is in the right place. And you know, your goal is to help people and things like that. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, we can keep going, you know, don't bite off more than you can chew, right? Like, <laughs> you know, only spend the money you have. I think that's the biggest one is like, you know, don't go buy anything you don't need. Absolutely. Right. Like if you want to grow your practice, wait till the money is there to grow it. Right. And sense. like, you know, especially this you know don't take out loans if you don't have to i didn't i was very fortunate my overhead to open this place was was dirt cheap and mm-hmm. and i wouldn't have been able to do it without it you know i wouldn't if my overhead was high i wouldn't i wouldn't even i wouldn't stay afloat um so i think the guys that make across it for giving me the opportunity so again i was very fortunate to be in a specific situation that made this possible um but you know if you want to open a more traditional setting you know, to go cash pay and take out a big loan is that's risky. You know, I mean, you got to really, you got to be really on your game, you know, but there's people in smart success in our group that did it. And I'm just like, man, man, I wish I charged 250 an hour. <laughs> um, you know, oh shit. And they're like, my schedule's full. I'm like, your schedule's what? <laughs> I'm like, how many people are you? Like 30. I was like, I saw 30 people in the last two months. Mm-hmm. This is insane. At 250? Mm-hmm. Man, I was like, I'll take you out. Time. I was so you know like and it's just again the niche I'm in is just kind of falling CrossFit athletes um, this population 
you know, I don't need to see people that many times. So it was, it was a little tough, but the main advice is like confidence in what you're doing, you know, and, and make sure you, you surround yourself with the right people. You know, don't go to a gym. Like no one can help you. The business owners at Mako here, you know, I mean, they were like my lifeline for, you know, my first six. I mean, they're still my life. I mean, they're my best friends, but, mm-hmm. but you know, I was like, you know, what do we do for this? What do we do for that? You know? And mm-hmm. you know, they, they're running a very successful CrossFit gym. So uh, they're good people to learn from. That's cool. That's great advice. You know, for anybody listening, that'll be good to, to help them out too. That's awesome. I know, I know you spoke a That's little amazing. bit about, That's, no, go ahead. Oh, sorry, Mike. I, I said, I don't know about no, good. words. Um, no, my brain's just like melted from this week. But um, I know you talked a little bit about like not growing your business too quickly because you want to make sure that you have the resources to be able to do that and like provide more services or maybe hire more staff or whatever it is that you, you choose to do. But what do, what do you see? What's the future for the movement doctor? Where, where are you going in the next five years? Man, you know, it's so funny. You said hire more staff and like growth. I have a zero desire for the business. It's like the treatment side of the business to grow. Cause I believe like once, like I don't ever, you know, and, and maybe this is the, I've had people this like, Oh, the new millennials don't want to work. I'm like, I work well more than 40 hours a week, but I don't treat that much. I don't ever, I really don't want to see more than 20 people a week. That's my limit. I would be super pumped to see that because I do a lot of other things. I do programming. I have remote clients. Uh, so the CrossFit side of me, I do remote CrossFit programming. Um, I also do like telehealth consultations and things like that. I work for a company called Wad Prep. Uh, Wad Prep is a basically an online tutorial company. They have uh, like uh, how to do them, you know, how to get a muscle up in six weeks and double unders and mm, pull ups and handstand push ups and things like that. So they have this like whole little. Um, I guess a little empire within itself of like these tutorial programs and I'm creating a program within them of like, it's called training through pain. And it's basically like we just said, is like modifications and things like that. So I do a lot of other things. Um, I think I would just get burnt out. I know when I actually have four or five people in a day, I can't talk the next day because of the education portion of what I do. Mm-hmm. I listen for 15, 20 minutes when someone's going and then it's like, it's my turn and I want to make sure I get my point across that, you know, this is, this is what it is. The mindset is everything. And it takes a little bit to do that. And I, I, I don't think I would be very successful or very enthusiastic where we talked about the pay before we started the patient uh, that I had that had just walked out the door uh, with the Achilles tendinopathy buy-in is everything. Mm-hmm. And if you're and in this setting, if I'm not enthusiastic and I'm not on my game of like how I'm presenting my information, my patient will not buy in and my patient will likely not get better because I make sure the patient has everything they need from my perspective and I give them the tools. It's on them. It's not on me. I'm a facilitator mm-hmm. of rehab. I am no guru and I am no, um, you know, I don't carry it out. I'm, I'm overseeing the process and I just point them in the right direction after I educate them. Yeah. Right. And that's, just, that's, that's how I, it should be. Yeah, you're in- and so to go back Go ahead, Mike. Oh, I was just saying you're empowering your patients to to take charge wow. of their own. I think that's awesome. And so for the the future of the movement doctor, I mean, this is this is it, right? You know, and it's like you know, I would like to have twenty people a week. That would be great. I again, like I said, I'm a minimalist. I don't really need a ton. I think the goal of any cash pay practice should never be more volume. But demand, right? Supply and demand. So if you if you're booked out three weeks in advance, guess what? You 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 up your cost by twenty five percent. You'll wean some people out. Some people will stay, and then now you're more value. Now you've created value in yourself, right? As you become more busy, your hours should become more valuable. And if it doesn't, then you never truly grow, right? Mm-hmm. And the goal of any like, and I have this like on the goal is an online, whatever social media, right? This online presence. Well, an online presence goal should be an evergreen concept, meaning you have to create a product, you have to sell a product, because if you have an ass in seat job always, you can only, there's always a, there's always a ceiling. When you create something you can sell, there's not. And that's why, like, you know, that's what Wild Prep is taking me under their wing to help create this next product with them. And from what I do with them, I learn, hopefully I can create something on my own, right? Whether, whatever that is, right? 
no guru book or anything like that. Something educational. I have no idea what that may be, but that's my goal. Create a product, create products, multiple products, or, you know, maybe do a course or something, something to that effect, um, you know, that involves teaching or helping like a large amount of people. Um, but seeing patient by patient, I mean, you can have a, a great life forever, right? You know, $200, $250 a patient, you see 30 people a week. I don't know if you guys are good at math. That's a lot of money. I don't want to do, do that math real quick. Um, it's like oh, 300 grand. Crap. So, um, so it's it just like gross. That's insane. You're going to do the exact math. What is that? I don't know what it is. Yeah, like 7,500 a week, right? Yeah, so you're looking at like after even after taxes, you're looking at like ninety thousand right? dollars before taxes. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh, it. oh my gosh! I would take I would take a tenth of that right now. Um, but you know, it's maybe maybe more than a tenth. I, I think I make a tenth. But anyway, so uh, for the most part, you know, that's that's the goal. Of, like the movement doctor is continue to push the online presence, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you know, find something, you know, that we create a product, right? I mean, that's any online business's goal, right? Um, I don't want to work forever. Good question. I want to work forever. I don't want to, I don't want to sit and see like one person at a time, you know, forever. I want to do it and I want to be able to enjoy that until I can't breathe anymore. If I see 30 people a week, definitely for me, not possible. I don't, I would, I would for sure burn out. And I also, like I said, I try and be good at CrossFit. So I train, a good amount during the day. Mm-hmm. So I can't, you know, if I see people a day, uh, there goes my training. So that's not, <laughs> gotta not have your priorities can't straight. <laughs> training comes first. That's right, guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the business comes first. I'm just saying, if the business, like, if I like, had to see people for eight hours and then I have to do like admin work or marketing, you know, like as soon as I get off this call, I gotta make my Instagram post, you know, yes. that's, that shit takes time. Adds up, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. But that's true. Uh, that's that's like where I see it as you know the progression of the movement doctor is hopefully an online presence. You know, uh, I want to keep seeing people. I love seeing people. It's it's my favorite thing to do. But like I said, I don't think it would be my favorite thing to do at thirty to forty to fifty people. Yeah, a week. Mm-hmm. And you kind of sacrifice some of your quality too. If you're seeing, I mean, well, maybe, but it's an easy way to get wow. burned out, like you said. So. Well, I think we're I think we're running up uh, here uh, near the end of our show here, and there's a question that we always ask all of our guests on the show. So at the Movement Docs, you know, we believe in, in always moving forward, right, in all that you do. So based on all of your previous experience and knowledge and life, love, the pursuit of happiness, what is one piece of advice that you give anyone listening to the show to help them be the best version of themselves? Uh, so I was in I was Greek uh, in in undergrad, and my pledge teacher said something uh, that resonated with me forever. And it was uh, just a few simple words and it was never settle, always strive. And I've, I'd like to believe that I've taken that and ran with the ambitious purpose of, you know, being in control of my own destiny and being generally an ambitious person uh, to uh, emulate those words and like my daily life is, you know, whether I've had good success or not, or anything like that, you know, you can be proud, right. You know, but never get content and never, ever, ever settle for what you have. Right. Mm -hmm. You can be happy, but you should always be looking for more. Right. And that means never be upset with not having enough, but just always be trying to make that next step. That means better yourself, better your love life, better your relationships, social uh, mental, educational level, whatever it is, never settle, always strive mm-hmm. and keep searching for what's next. Right. Keep yeah. I think that's kind of a, like almost like a beautiful summary of everything that we've talked about tonight so far. Um, just constantly getting better, you know, your business, yourself, your practice and never, you know, never accepting things at face value, always questioning, always trying to improve upon who you are, what you are, what your business is. So that's that's a great quote, man. We're gonna we're definitely gonna steal that and uh, plaster it all over the internet, and probably you might see it on Pinterest on Motivational Monday with like, some nice mountains behind it. Yes. Okay. 
Okay. <laughs> Should we put that in your uh, in your social media things? You want you want your Pinterest account on there? Okay. Okay. No. Probably a lot of like wedding stuff in there that my wife tagged me when we were getting married. It's probably really lame. So, yeah. That's okay. I guess I'll just send you Facebook messages if I want to show you a cool new macaroni and cheese recipe. But, uh, but yeah, man, we, we, we really thank you for, for taking the time. We know you're super busy and you got your hands on a whole bunch of stuff. But, I mean, there was there's some great conversations about you know always surrounding yourself with intelligent people, making sure you're not the smartest person in the room. You know, valuing your mentorship, mentorship in all aspects of your life, whether it's like, you know, personal relationship, business, um, professionalism, uh, certain certain aspects of PT care, whether it's like you know working on a shoulder, working on a knee, whatever it is, always trying to find people who have more knowledge than you and and utilizing them to make sure that you're becoming constantly better. Uh, and then we even hit some some like PT categories too, like fear avoidance, catastrophizing, um, working with patients and, and talking to them about like changing their expectations and trying to trying to get them to not have those um, common misconceptions and like false narratives that are out there in the, in the medical world right now. Um, and then just kind of talking about the grind, you know, you're, you're still trying to, trying to build your brand, trying to really make your practice take off and you're being a minimalist and, and just trying to, to make it through every day so that you can, you can be so much better in five years. So I mean, just thanks for yeah, thanks for awesome. talking about all this stuff with us. It's yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dude, thanks for thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we really can. Uh... Mike, Mike. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, my my mic uh, my mic cut out oh. for a second. <laughs> That's good. Uh, we can't. We... <laughs> so close. I know we we're so close. <laughs> Of course, technology. Why? <laughs> but yeah, we really can't thank you enough for for taking the time to be on the show. So, if anyone uh, listening to the show wants to get in contact to you, what's the best way that they can do that? Um, my phone number and all my stuff is plastered all over my social media. But it's it's uh, the Movement Doctor uh, in Facebook. Uh, you know, just search the black and white logo, and then Instagram is Instagram.com backslash uh, the underscore Movement underscore Doctor. Same thing for Twitter. And then my email is cj at themovementdoctor.net. Uh, website is themovementdoctor.net. And just anything, The Movement Doctor, just search it in, in my Facebook. Awesome, dude. Perfect. And we, we won't so, give them your again. Pinterest, we promise. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Duh. Must have been. Oh, my goodness. Sucker. Duh. All right. Well, thanks again for tuning in this week, everybody, uh, where we spoke to CJ DePalma, uh, Dr. CJ DePalma, the movement doctor. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or have a specific topic that you'd like us to discuss, shoot us an email at tmdmovementdocs at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.